You're listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author Sarah Box, where you get the inside scoop on the steps action takers and decision makers take to align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and life. We focus on the mantra, no labels, no limits, no excuses. Each week, you'll hear from remarkable guests who have overcome challenges and obstacles to succeed in the face of adversity. By listening to their stories, you'll get practical tips, tools, and resources you can implement today to bust through your own internalized prisons of worry and doubt. And now, without further ado, please welcome your commanding coach with plenty of chutzpah and heart, Sarah Box. What if I told you that you were only five minutes and one decision away from powerfully changing your life and your business? Stay tuned because that's just one of the lessons we learn in today's episode of the No Labels, No Limits podcast, a podcast all about helping action takers and decision makers like you align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and in life. Hi, I'm Sarah from Sarah Box Coaching and Consulting. I'm a former executive director and nonprofit consultant with three decades of experience. I'm the founder of the Intentional Leaders Community, where I help nonprofit executives who are overextended at work and home to regain time, reduce stress, and lead strategically so they can live a life they love at work and at home. And I'm here to tell you that the life you want is possible with the right support, mindset, and clarity. And on today's podcast, we are joined by a guest who is going to speak directly to that, Meredith Figueres. Now, Meredith was born and raised in St. Peter's, Florida, and relocated to Central Texas when her husband, Jonathan, received orders from the Army to Fort Hood. After years in insurance, banking, and real estate, banking, not baking, after years of insurance, banking, and real estate world, she was ready to take a huge risk and start her own business. So think about that. She is in a corporate and very structured environment and she's going to start her own business. She is a gutsy gal. She is the owner now of the award-winning Central Texas Catering Company, Let Us Do the Cooking, and she's a certified John Maxwell speaker, trainer, and coach. She's coached, in fact, and mentored hundreds of business owners in more than 12 countries, and Meredith's years of experience in the corporate and customer service world have led her to become passionate about empowering others to discover, believe in, and act on their full potential. Discover, believe, and act. Three key ingredients to anybody getting anywhere they want in life. And her passion now has led her to her most recent endeavor with a start of Empowered You. That's Empowered You. So in this episode, you're going to hear how Meredith equips entrepreneurs to smash through the ceiling of their limiting beliefs develop the right team, and put systems and processes in place to grow more profitably with less of their own time. More profitable, less of their own time. Key levers. Or as I like to say, to bust through the superwoman, I have to do it all myself way of thinking and working. We're going to talk about Meredith's personal business and life journey from catering to speaking, coaching, and mentoring, and beginning Empowered You, her approach to help business owners and organization leaders change our minds, develop our people, and get out of their way, and 
why a great team is essential to our success. So with all of that as the groundwork, let's welcome our guest, Meredith Figueres. Hi, Meredith. Hi. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. I really appreciate it. Well, I've been looking forward to this interview, and I'd like to say it's great to have you on the show. Before we dive in, the audience and I want to know, and me especially, what has not one non-negotiable ritual you do every day that keeps you heading towards your big vision? Well, let's say non-negotiable first is coffee has to be ready before I even get out of bed. So that's an absolute must every day, non-negotiable. Um, but uh, all kidding aside, so outside that's of the morning- joke. That's not a joke. <laughs> no, it's a, very, it's a very serious issue. Uh, so actually, my morning routine is one, I, I try to be- structured, but at the same time, give myself a little bit of grace. So my morning routine, I set forward to do five days a week, which is uh, that before I get going in my day, I've got some quiet time. Uh, I use a similar process to the Miracle Morning, uh, which I'm sure many of your listeners have heard of, uh, and it's a great book. I don't do six categories. I do four, but I, I do work on uh, some personal development, spiritual development, business development, and some physical exercise. So those are the things that uh, I do. And like I said, I aim for five days a week and give myself a little grace on the other two. Love it. I think we've been down some of the same paths. <laughs> Probably. Course, it's telling me that you set your coffee on a timer. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so I know we're, we're in sync on that. So I just want to start diving right in. Why do so many people, I'm Actually, even before we get there, I want to know, talk to us about your journey, okay? So um, it's interesting to me that you come, you, you're in these really structured corporate business environments, you move to a new state, and then you think about starting a business. Did you have catering experience? <laughs> No, not at all. Um, so what's interesting about that is I'm a bit of a serial entrepreneur at heart. Uh, I have had a business in some way since I was 18 years old. So the catering company was actually my fifth business. So uh, when we talk about uh, moving to Texas, the Army was a backup plan for us. That was called a way to recover from a rather expensive learning lesson uh, in business prior to that time. <laughs> it, was, it was four years of recovery time, let's put it that way. And so my journey uh, in the catering world, and I'll keep this a shortened version, but just to give you an idea, because people often ask me for advice on when the right time to start a business is. Um, when I started the catering company, it stemmed from my husband and I getting in a fight while he was in Iraq. So he was deployed to another country. Every time he called home, I was cooking for someone because they had a baby or they were sick and someone would call and ask if I could. And I enjoyed it. So he was overseas earning extra money to help us with some things. I was spending that money cooking for other people. He didn't like that idea, got upset. And I just said to a couple of friends, you know, I really am tired of banking. I should figure out a way to get paid for doing this. And that sparked the idea that if people call me for it all the time, there must be a market and no one's filling that need in the market. So I mentioned the idea to him that, hey, I think I could, I could turn this into something. And he said the words that he doesn't often say to me, which was, 
okay, see what it would take. And so I hung up on him while he was in Iraq before he could change his mind and say no. And three weeks later, we started knocking bricks out of our garage, turned it into a commercial kitchen, and a catering company was born. Oh, and by the way, I was also six months pregnant with our youngest son at that time. So, you know, perfect conditions for starting a business is no cash, no experience, pregnant with the third kid and husband deployed to a foreign country, right? That's, that's the perfect recipe for success. I don't see anything wrong with it. Holy Not mold. at all. So, um, <laughs> but that has led you to where you are right now. Yes. And clearly, if you're a serial entrepreneur, you are not adverse to risk. No, not at all, which is why having a spouse who is is a great offset because I might have bankrupted us about five times by now. Yeah. It's interesting how we partner with different people in the world yes. because to keep us sane and balanced half the time they're going, let's just take a beat on that and think about it for a minute. Right. So, and then that led you to the work you're doing today as well, because you're still running the catering business, correct? I am. Mm -hmm. I own the catering company. Uh, we also acquired another company this year in the honey business. And then uh, our teams, so I, I don't work in the day-to-day -day operations of those companies. I work on the business rather than in it. Uh, we've got great teams there, and that leaves me to do this, which is working with other entrepreneurs, and, and uh, that's, that's a lot of fun for me. So let me just start there. You know, you, you made the distinction of working on the business rather than in the business. And I think one of the things as leaders or owners, whether we're leading uh, someone else's business or a business we're a part of, or we are an owner, an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. we, can, we can confuse those two things. Yes. So can you talk about the distinction between working in and on and as an entrepreneur, so thinking of people you coach, where are they usually in their journey when they reach out to you? So most of the entrepreneurs that I work with have been in business for at least three years or so, and they've had just enough success to be dangerous, which is where I was uh, about four years ago. And so, you know, entrepreneurs are creative thinkers, and we tend to get lost in the vision of what we want to do for our business. And so where a team really comes into play there is like for myself, um, we, both of my companies call me the chaos creator. That's my role. I'm the visionary. I come up with all the ideas and I used to also be the implementer of those ideas. And that's when it got really dangerous <laughs> because I am... And as our other entrepreneurs and or people who have been involved in the building of an organization, we are so familiar with everything that goes into creating a concept or an idea or a marketing campaign or whatever it is that there are many things that we do inherently that we don't think about. And so when we're not the ones doing those things, they're not written down anywhere. There's no system for someone else to follow and then steps get missed. Because for 10 years, I ran the catering company all from my head. It was all up there. So no one else knew all the steps to everything. So when I say today that I'm working on the business and not in it, it's my job now to cast the vision which I think any good leadership in, in any type of organization, this is really what we're talking about. It's that person's uh, idea to, to get the vision out there, establish whatever systems need to be in place to support that vision, but then 
get out of the way as fast as possible because often, and entrepreneurs are especially guilty of this, we're our company's biggest asset. We're also the biggest liability. And until we understand how to get out of the way and let people really go to work, we can often slow down the progress of growth for any company just because we tend to stand in the path of things getting done in an expeditious manner because we're way out there with this vision and we really have great team members around us, generally speaking, who can handle all the details. And it kind of brings me back to that saying, you know, you, you can't see the picture when you're in the frame. Well, when you're in the details of the daily business, you don't get to see whether or not that's really accomplishing that greater vision or goal because you're in all those little details. So really being able to take a step back and saying, okay, I've set this vision, here's how this team accomplishes this and this team accomplishes that, and then we take a step back, it becomes very easy to observe whether or not the team is on the right path to accomplishing the greater vision for the company. So what is the barrier for people being willing to step back? Because to me, when I hear you say that, you say it like, well, of course, then I step back. But, you know, having been in business in different roles, that is not always easy to do as the leader or for people who I'm work for either. It's like, well, I don't want to let go of control. I want to be mm -hmm. seen as the person who's like casting and making things happen. How is it that we remain and we make it hard for our team members to be successful? So the number one thing that I see business owners, um, well, or that they tell me is their concern when it comes to letting go is no one else will do it like I do. And so unfortunately, the quickest way to understand that the challenge with that statement is to say, you're right, they won't. They won't. And that's okay. So what I had to realize is when I was doing in our catering company, the recipes are all mine and you know the way that, that we do everything came from the way that I set that path. And my kitchen manager has been with me for 11 years now and he still is not 100% me, but he's probably today, 99%. And in some areas, he might be 120% of me, right? He's got strengths that I don't have. But the reality is, is that my 100% in the marketplace was still head and shoulders above my competition. So I'm making an assumption when I'm talking to business owners that you're really good at what you do. And if you can find someone who aligns with your core values and they've got 80% of the skill necessary to do what you do, you've got a team member that you can build into the right person, no questions asked. So the, one of the most important things we do is we talk about hiring and bringing people onto your team. And when I say people onto your team, let me just clarify, I'm not really only talking about W-2 employees. I'm talking about contractors that you work with, vendors that you work with, anybody who supports your business structure is really part of your team. So when you bring those people into the atmosphere based on values and they've got 80% of your skill, you can teach skill. You can't teach value. So it's important to hire for that first, and then you can bring them along to the place that you want to be. But it's important to recognize that if you're looking for you, specifically as an entrepreneur, if you're looking for you, you won't find it. So you've got to let go of that thought process first. The other thing is, is for, for um, people in leadership 
responsibilities, we're used to doing a lot of different things at one time. And we often have to take a step back and understand that when we hire someone in, they're not going to do all 20 jobs that I do. So I'm not hiring me from that standpoint. I'm hiring this little piece of me. And that might be a 10-hour-a-week position. It might be full-time. It could be a contractor. There's a lot of ways that that can go. But really, it comes down to that first step of sort of disassociating this, um, this idea that I have to find the person who can do everything I do exactly the way I do it because that's not going to happen. And do you find people who are ever worry about finding someone who actually may be better than them? It does creep in. And I would say this happens more in organizations when an entrepreneur doesn't tend to worry about that quite as much because they're not concerned about a person taking their job per se. But in organizations, especially when someone has been in a leadership role for a long period of time, there is typically some worry about, well, if I bring someone in and they're better than me, they could take my position. My position on that may not be a popular one, which is if you bring someone in and you really work with them and you pour into them and you partner with them and they are better with you or than you in that position and your organization moves you out to move that in, they've done you a favor. Because then they're not valuing the effort that you've put into the development of people for their organization. So I think, like I said, it may not be a popular <laughs> opinion from that standpoint, but I know that everyone who's worked for me, I want them to develop the people that they're training or working with, and I want them both to climb the ladder. I want them both to do well, and I would never penalize one person for bringing up someone who surpasses them, right? There's, there's got to be room for, for, those, for that caliber of person in my organization. So if, if that ends up being the case, they may have done you a favor. I would agree with you. And I had a boss when I was in my 20s, and he told me, and it, it has always stuck with me, but he said my job, because he kept giving me all these responsibilities that in my mind, you know, you use the phrase above my pay grade. They weren't even in my job category. He goes, no, no, you need to know this stuff. And I go, why? And he goes, because in my mind, my success is having you be able to do everything I can do and more because otherwise I'm only going to ever be able to do this. And right. I don't want to only be able to do this, you know. So he was pretty high up in a corporate structure, an international corporate structure. But he still that he goes, no, I want you to be great because first of all, it reflects well on me for picking people and growing them. Yes. But he says, no, I'm not. He goes, I always want people who are smarter than me around me. And I, the minute he said that, I'm going, whoa. Yeah. But it shifted. He said, no, you, sh you should always try and find people smarter than you to be with you because they're going to make you do better. And, um, and after that, I thought, well, okay then. Look for smart people, hang out with them, and learn. Absolutely. And there's a saying, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. You are in the wrong room. That is, absolutely that's absolutely are. it. Yeah. So, um, so tell me what you mean by when you say that you're only five minutes and one decision away from powerfully changing your life and business. What does that mean? 
So one of the things that I do with the entrepreneurs that I work with in a, in a coaching and consulting relationship is it is our goal with every single interaction that we have. So whether I'm coaching them in one-to-one or in a small group setting or they're attending one of our workshops, that after every interaction that we find one action, one thing that they can take away from their time that they can put into place five minutes after we finish that interaction so that they can move their business forward uh, in, in the right direction. And so we are always looking for that one thing that can be done in five minutes. And that stems from an experience of mine with a coach that I was working with. And it was, uh, it's been several years ago now, but we were going through a marketing course and uh, we got through it and he's going, okay, this is going to take a while to do this and do that. And we, we got off the, the call and I went, no, I'm going to figure out something I can do with this. And in, within less than five minutes, I had the opportunity to speak to one client, make a change in the way that we had done business. And that one action more than made the money in a week that I had paid to be part of that course. The next year, it had, that one specific thing had added an extra six figures to the bottom line of the catering company. And a 10-year-old company ended up doing 240% of sales the following year based on taking that one action. And so what we try to find with all of our entrepreneurs is, uh, you know, when people go to workshops or they go to seminars or they do these kind of things, they get pages and pages of notes, right? And I'm sure you can relate. You leave from a weekend or a week going, oh my God, that was amazing. And I'm so excited. I can't wait to get back and go to work. And then you get back and it's kind of like this, I feel good, right? But nothing actually changes. And so what we do is if we can stop and say, okay, we've just finished one of our two-day workshops, what is your action plan? And if they start to give me, well, next week, and then, eh, wrong answer. What are we doing five minutes after we finish today? <laughs> and so it's, it's, that, it's that mental thing that as soon as we put ourselves into an action step, we physically move forward in the direction that we want to go, and it catapults us forward in growth. Whereas historically, because you know, I've been saying this for years, the people who go, oh yeah, I get what she's saying, but I'll do my action on Monday, they are the people, and I, I, there's a lady that I've worked with for a couple of years who used to do that when we first started working together. She would take all the notes and go, okay, I'm going to go back and I'll do this and I'll do that. And for that first year, every time we talked, she was having the same issues over and over again. I'm going, what, what is the block here? What's not happening? And I finally realized after talking with her that she was waiting several days to, to begin implementation, so it wasn't actually happening. We changed that, and within six months, a company that she has run for 30 years, the entire organization of the company changed, same staff, just the organization changed, they were able to put systems and processes in place, their revenue, they had hit a ceiling for seven straight years before that, their revenue finally busted through the ceiling, and it was a simple action but she took it right when we hung up the phone and it changed the dynamic of what happened when she went back to the business. So that five minute, what can I do right now decision has massive positive consequences on the other side. So give me a tangible example without giving away her name or you know any 
trade secrets, if you will. Because um, I know when people listen, they go, okay, one action, how big does it have to be, right? I get the five minutes, but am, is that action calling and firing somebody? Like, is it a massive action? Is it a tiny action? What is an example so that listeners could go, oh, wow, that really could be that simple and, and have, I could see myself actually doing it. So let me tell you what her scenario was because it was, and hers was actually two things that happened in that five minutes. The first one was that there was a salesperson in that organization where there were no KPIs established. It was just go sell to these people and tell me how you've done, right? So it, it, was, it was very abstract, but we knew that he was not pulling his weight. He knew that he was not pulling his weight. It's pretty obvious. So the first phone call was to call him and say, I am not serving the rest of my team by letting them know that it's okay to operate the way that you do and it's time for us to cut ties. So that was phone call number one. Phone call number two was back to the office to say, okay, I just made this phone call. I value you all as a team too much to let someone like that continue to work with us. And the switch that happened right there for the team that was back at the office, it changed everything for them. A separate situation, which was my scenario, a couple of, well, this has been four years ago now, was a price increase. So this is a, it's a simple solution that a lot of business owners are absolutely terrified of. So we had been in business for 10 years. I have a lot of regular customers who order from us all the time. And my business has a very tangible price attached because people know what they pay for a plate of food, right? So it's not service space where you can have a lot of flexibility there. So we called within five minutes of that call, one of our longtime clients ordered on a very regular basis. And these are people who skimp on everything, right? So she said, well, here's our order for next week and just send me the invoice. And I thought, okay, it's now or never. Here we go. So I did the invoice and I just threw an extra 10% on it, right? And I emailed the invoice. And I mean, I was waiting for a phone call to ring me out. Of, I mean, I was just expecting it, right? And like 15 minutes later, I get the email that says your invoice has get, been paid. No questions asked. And I'm going, I had been dreading that for years, right? So it, it, these can be very, very simple things. It's often the mental block of, oh, I'll do it when I get back, and then we just never get around to it. So when we, when we take that really quick action, we often find out that the fear of what we associated with it is so, the thought process is so much worse than the action ever is, that we go, oh, well, that was easy. I can keep doing that. And we move forward. So they can be very, very simple things. We're not talking about monumental shifts here. More of it has to do with the shift that it takes in each of us to just make a move than what the actual move itself is. Yeah, I think that's so powerful because like you're talking about the stories we put into our head about why we need to wait or think about it further. Um, and as someone who would have been on the receiving end of that invoice, I would bet, and this has happened to me where I'm thinking, are you kidding? That's taking you that long to raise your prices? You've been right. underpricing me for years, but I'm not going to say, let me pay you more. Right. Um, so no, they probably knew exactly the value you were giving and were happy to pay that. But right. It, it, you're right. It's mental on you, the me as the owner, the entrepreneur, whatever, right. um, which leads me into my question. So can you talk about the, your three-step process and um, how you, if I were to work with you, let me phrase it this way. If I were to work with you as an entrepreneur and I come and I say, hey, Meredith, 
I think I need your services. Um, where would we start? What does our journey together look like? So what our journey together looks like actually starts with a two-day workshop that I do. And that that is where we begin this change your mind process. And so changing your mind, and, and I'm careful about this with entrepreneurs because we are we tend to be very practical people. And a lot of people will go, oh, it's personal development and it's a little too out there for me, or it's and it's not really right? It's just a matter of all of us have told ourselves a story at some point that we have to really look at and decide whether it's true or false. And so for most entrepreneurs, changing their mind is about understanding that wherever they are today, and that could be in a lot of different places, but wherever they are today, they are the reason they're there. And so uh, I say this and I get scolded by my, my speaking coaches that say, oh, don't tell people that things are their fault, you know, but the reality is I, I am the cause of my effects, right? So uh, what happens with changing our mind is we have to accept the fact that we've placed limitations in our lives and in our business somewhere. So for me, four years ago, that was saying, here we are, we're a catering company in Central Texas, we're doing seven figures, and we're successful by outside accounts. Their success was my nightmare, but that's a different aspect of it. And if that's as good as it gets, I'm out. I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. Because it was 80 hours a week, and cash flow wasn't great, and you know, those kind of things. And so for me, understanding and changing my mind went, wait a minute, has any other catering company in the United States of America ever done more than a million dollars in business? Well, of course, is the answer, right? So if I'm not doing more than that, because I've hit this kind of ceiling, then it's not because it can't be done. It's because I just don't know what I don't know to go do it. And so I had to then own the fact that I was the one who said, well, this is as good as it gets. This can only do this. You know, that was on me. And when it comes to, um, when it comes to this process of changing our mind, we have to own these thoughts to affect the change, right? And the example I use is if you think about a house, when you rent a house, you can't make any changes to that house. You're lucky if you can put, you know, a nail in the wall to hang up a picture, more or less paint the walls. But when you own the house, you can do whatever you want to it. You can make any changes you want. You can paint the walls hot pink. It doesn't matter, right? You own it so you can affect the change to it. It's the same thing with our thoughts. When we own it and take responsibility for it, then we have the power to change it. So what I realized is as I accepted responsibility for the limitations that I had placed on my business... I began to grow and I started changing myself and inevitably the business began to grow with me. So it wasn't, oh, grow the business, grow the business. No, it was once I got me right, the business then could play catch up. And every time I stopped growing, the business stopped right there with me. And so every time the business has plateaued since then, I know it's time for me to grow some more. Well, the other aspect of business growth when it comes to that is as I'm growing, I owe it to the people that I am trusting as my team to help me along the way to develop them in the process. And most people get freaked out right here in that they think, I'm, I'm not skilled to develop people. I'm not a coach. I'm not a trainer. I'm not this. I'm not. 
that's not even what I'm talking about. When we talk about developing your people, what we're talking about is developing them as a human being. I'm talking about going to them and saying, hey, what's important in your life right now? Why are you here full time? Like, what do you, yeah, you get a paycheck, but that's not the reason you're here. What is that doing for you? What are you saving for? What are your goals right now? Um, you know, and, and it's getting to know them so that you can develop the things for them that are important in their lives. Because if you'll partner with them on what's important to them, you got a teammate for life. People want to be loyal. They, they do. They genuinely want that connection. And so what I have found is when I find out what's important to them and I just care about that, which, you know, they're human beings. We should care anyway. But when, when I really let them know that, you know what, I'm here for you on that. You want to save money for a down payment on a house? Like, what else can I do to help you? You know, do you have a savings plan? Do you have a budget? Do you want to sit down? Can we go through that? And I'm not saying you have to do all of that. I'm just giving you some examples of what I do, right? But as we really begin to develop those people, when I talk about getting out of the way, if you're building people up and you're telling them, I'm here to help you get what you want out of life and I appreciate you being a partner, you're doing them a disservice if you stand in the way of letting them show you what they're capable of. And unfortunately, for me, I learned this lesson the hard way in that I, I would love to tell you that I'm a perfect example of everything I teach and I just step back and let them go to work. And that's not exactly the way it happened um, in that we landed a few years ago a really huge government contract. I mean, like uh, it was year making, right? We had to hire 50 new people. We were in, to give you an idea of the conditions, we were in the desert with a National Guard unit for 30 days, cooking for 4,000 people, two meals a day, in tents. And uh, so it was extreme circumstances. Yeah, it was, but it, it was one of those things that it, it tested every aspect of who we are. And so we, this was a huge opportunity for us. And the very first weekend that we were in the field catering for these soldiers, I got a call from my husband's boss at the fire department saying, something's not right with John. We're taking him to the emergency room. Um, here are the symptoms. We think he might've had a stroke. And so I all of a sudden remember being there in the kitchen and hanging up the phone and going, dear God, why now? This is the worst possible time for this to happen. And I, I wish I could tell you my reaction was not that selfish, but that was what it was. And fortunately, he ended up being fine. But my kitchen manager and my lead event manager overheard me on the phone. So they knew that something was wrong. And they came to me and they're like, what, you know, what happened? And I said, I told them what happened. I said, you know, we'll get through dinner service and then I'll go figure that out. And they said, no, you'll leave now. I said, no, guys, we, we got to feed 4,000 people. Let me get through and make sure that this all goes well. And they said, no. And my kitchen manager looked at me. He said, you go get in the car or I will put you in the car and go to the hospital, right? So here's what's interesting, though, is that they went to the team, let them know what was going on and said, hey, guys, we're going to need some extra help. They explained the situation. We hired 50 new people for that field exercise and a handful of them stepped up that weekend and said... I will help with whatever you need. Now, none of them were supposed to work with us for more than 30 days. And every one of those people who stepped up and said, I will help with whatever you need, three years later is still part of our team. So there was a situation that took me out of the way 
to see what they could really do, they were capable of so much more than I ever gave them credit for, so much more. But they would have never stepped up and done those things with me there because they would have been afraid of stepping on my toes. So that situation really brought to light how important it is uh, for us. And, and I have stayed out of it more or less since that time and really let them run uh, with the ideas that I bring forward. And they've done an amazing job. That couldn't be a better example of how we can get in our own way and how circumstance can land on our doorstep to actually help put us where we need to be and head down the path for ourselves. So Meredith, I want to ask you as we, we start to wrap this up, I envision somebody listening to your story um, and going, okay, right now, I'm not sure what I need to do, but I do believe in what Meredith said about, you know, one thing I can do in the next five minutes. So thinking of somebody who could be anywhere on their journey, on their business leadership growth path, navigating being at home now, whatever, how can you give a tip of how you would think about something, how you could bite-size something for them to go, okay, practice doing this to get your five and one? Yeah, so here's, I'll give you a couple of examples so that depending on where they are in the process, there's something tangible here. So there's a lot of people right now that have been using this time at home who have been in corporate environments or in, you know, small businesses or whatever that are going, you know what, I think it's my time and I'm ready to start something of my own, right? So if you're in that startup place where you're really, you've got an idea, you're not sure what to do with it. Um, the one thing I would say for you when we get done with this is sell something. Make a dollar. And a lot of people hate that. They go, oh, I hate it when somebody tells me that. Well, I understand that. But I also talk to hundreds and hundreds of entrepreneurs who make business cards and websites and they come up with a plan and they do all these things and they never make a dollar. So if you're new, make a dollar. Proof of concept. Get someone to buy your product or service. If you've been in business for a while and you're in that category of people that are kind of just waiting it out to see what happens, change one thing in your business, one thing that you can do online that does not have to wait for anything. And when I say that, I mean literally anything. Our catering company today is offering meal services. We're offering office deliveries. I've even um, offered cooking classes. We're doing all kinds of different things. And you would think a food business, you can't do that online. Yes, you can. <laughs> and so if you're one of those businesses that has been waiting Find one thing that you can do to generate revenue online because you never, ever again want to be in a position where something that comes across that you have absolutely no control over determines whether or not the doors to your business are closed. So that's, that's where we are in that mode. And if you're in growth mode right now, uh, what I would do there, and this is one of the things that... Um, that I'm, I'm teaching a lot of my entrepreneurs right now because fortunately I am working with a lot of people who go, okay, I don't want to wait. How do I keep in front? Um, stay front of mind with your client base. Go live on social media. 
uh, or whether it's Instagram or Facebook, or just record a video and post it out there, but be in front of your customers. Have them be so sick of seeing your face that the next time they think about your product or service, you are the only person who comes to mind because they have seen you so much. So get out there and be in front of them and do something be really authentic in that video. So the, these videos and when you're getting out on social media is not to pretend like the world is great and everything's okay. It's to say, hey guys, sorry you haven't seen me in a while. This sucks. Like be really authentic in the process and talk to them, but start getting in front of your customers more. That growth mode is your marketing should be heavier now than it ever is to facilitate growth. Meredith, thank you so much. Um, the last thing I want to ask you is tell people how to reach out and find you because um, we will have the information in the show notes, but if people aren't looking for that, I do want them to know how to find you and connect because you offer so much value. Uh, thank you. Uh, so on Facebook and Instagram, it's Empowered You. So it's the letter M powered y-o-u and you can find us on facebook and instagram i do also have though a free gift uh, for anybody who's interested in it you can go to it's go.empoweredyou.com and we're going to offer you the five mind-blowing mistakes that small business owners make in hiring and some practical solutions to help you navigate those waters so that's available as well for anybody who wants to download it thank you very much and Folks, I have a request of you. If you've listened to this and you love Meredith and all the good information and actually free expertise that she has shared with us, please go out and rate and review this podcast, but even take it one step further. Hit the share button and send it to somebody you know who would benefit from Meredith's information, her own journey, and where she might be able to help you or them up-level everything they're doing and achieve the goals they have in business and life because that's really what this is all about. It's about le leading a no labels, no limits, and frankly, a no excuses life. So until next episode, thank you, everybody, and, and thank you, Meredith. Thank you. You've been listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author, change agent, and strategic vision coach, Sarah Box. You can grab the show notes and find out how to work with Sarah at sarahbox.com forward slash no labels, no limits podcast. We'd love this podcast to reach as many people as possible. So please remember to rate, leave a five-star review and share the podcast with someone you think would get value from this conversation. Until next time, keep taking those daily action steps to align your purpose to your principles and achieve your goals in business and life.